Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowling. gospel reading this morning is from the gospel of Matthew, the 24th chapter. Jesus is speaking. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking Marrying and giving in marriage, 
up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other one left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Today we're going to talk about a couple of prophecies. Prophecy of peace. We're also going to talk about control or lack of it. We're going to talk about worry. When I was a young boy... My parents took me every year down to Myrtle Beach. Every day, I had a routine. I'd get up early, and I'd go out into the ocean, and I'd swim, and I'd body surf, and I'd swim some more. And then I'd get tired, and my back would start to sunburn. And so I'd come in to the beach, and I might, I might get a little bit of sunscreen. This was back in the day when we really weren't as careful of that. Well, I'd sit down on the beach and I'd start making a sandcastle. Now, this is, this is actually a very good representation of my very best work. Most of the time, my sandcastles weren't too, weren't too good. But one thing I would always do is I would put this big wall of sand around my castle. It was there to protect it. I wanted to control what was going on and keep the waves outside. And so I would start working on the walls and I'd work on the castle. And, you know, steadily, steadily, the waves would move farther and farther up the beach. And pretty soon, they would be hitting the walls of sand that that surrounded my castle. And over the next half hour... They would come back time and again to hit the walls, washing away bits of sand. And I'd scramble like crazy to to strengthen those walls, make them thicker and make them higher. I start working on the wall back here because I knew those waves were going to go around it. But the waves would come at the walls time and again, several times a minute. And eventually, every single day, the waves would win and sweep over the walls and destroy the more delicate castle that was protected by those walls. I might be able to repair the castle once or twice, but within ten minutes the castle was simply a mound of wet sand, slowly disappearing below the waves. And at that point, I'd usually get up and go eat lunch. It it troubled me. Why was it that every, every day... I got beat. It seems that our world has always been filled with trouble. Christianity has an explanation for this, 
Adam and Eve broke the wonderful world that God had made when they made a choice to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, up to that point, we had only known the goodness that God had given us. But when we ate from the tree, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now we knew both good, but we also knew evil. We were kicked out of the garden where another tree grew, the tree of life. And thus we began to die because we could not eat from the tree of life any longer. Adam and Eve's first two sons, well, one grew up to be a murderer and the other his victim. It's been much that way ever since. So from time to time, almost all people have despaired of this world, the world which was caused by people's poor choices. God did not choose this world for us or all the evil and death which walks in this world, but God also understood that to prevent us from having the original choice would have been even more evil, reducing us to mere robotic servants. And so despite God's will, we humans constantly fight one another, sometimes with the weapons of war and more often with the weapons of our words. And so the world in general is ugly when people come into contact with each other. Why are we so ugly? Because we each have been hurt in many ways. And so we want the power to protect ourselves from being hurt. We strive with one another so we can build this wall of protection around us, a wall of control that we start building as infants when we yell and scream until we get our way and our tummy is fed and our diapers are changed and our parents lift us up and cuddle us, calming us down so we can fall asleep. How's she doing? Our wall of control expands as children and even more as teenagers as we close the door to our room so we can control at least a portion of a life that feels so out of control. And then we strive to gain money as adults because we've learned that money buys control, buys a larger home, respect, more security over our income. We may even buy weapons and alarm systems and land to control our world. And if we gain even more money, we buy servants and bodyguards to protect us. We move into gated communities or nicer apartment buildings. We may even go into politics so we can control even more of our world for there are always dangers that we don't yet control. Other people can do things to us. And we don't like that. And then as we grow older, our focus changes, becomes controlling our health. We try to stay young through makeup and through exercise. We dye our hair. We go through all sorts of methods because we realize that we don't control the aging process yet. We might even move south to control the weather. We stay home to avoid the snow 
We snuggle into this cocoon that we build around us of home and warmth and money as we try to live forever inside our wall of control. But eventually our last days come. Eventually the waves of the world swamp our walls and our control is gone. For we are not going to be able to control the world as the real God can. We only think we can control more and more of it. But we mortals are subject to aging and death, and so we can't control everything. Only the real God can defeat aging and death. Only the real God has done this in the past. Only the real God can do this because God created aging and death and therefore can control these things that we cannot control. God knew way back at the beginning that we would eventually break the world. God knew that Adam and Eve, or both of them, would eventually need to be kicked out into the world. God knows that there would be tremendous suffering when this happened over the centuries until we humans learned that we were created by God not to be equals like the serpent had implied to Eve, but to be companions with free will, ready to accept our place in the universe, worshiping the God who created us. And so God gave the law to Moses to teach us to live together. And repeatedly our ancestors chose chose the selfish ways which brought them into conflict with their neighbors with other people, they violated the law which God had given to Moses. And so repeatedly, people and kingdoms died, destroyed by their own selfishness and competition with each other. It didn't look like that a lot of times, but you know, it, was, it all went back to disobeying God in the beginning. And so God gave the law to Moses to teach us to live together. God... God then sent prophets to guide our ancestors. One of these was Isaiah, who gave advice to the kingdom of Judah, the kings of Judah, and they listened for a while. And the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, and they did not listen. And so the northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out by invaders, but God wanted us to have hope. So he gave Isaiah a prophecy, a message of hope. This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, say, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He said, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. God wanted us to be taught by God. And so eventually God sent to the temple a man named Jesus who was actually part of God that God had sent to earth to be known as the Son of God. He taught in Jerusalem, in the temple, which is built on Mount Zion. Isaiah's prophecy continued, said the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. 
It's a wonderful prophecy of peace in the future. It was for the future for the people of Jerusalem who were looking at the destruction of their cousins in the northern kingdom. A great leader was going to come who would lead them into peace. And through Isaiah, God, known as Yahweh to ancient Israel, asked these people who were descended from Jacob, the man whom God had renamed Israel, come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord, or in the original, let us walk in the light of Yahweh. It was a promise, a prophecy of peace, which almost begged the people of Jerusalem to come back to their creator. And many did for a while, but not enough. And so uh, after another century, Jerusalem was crushed by invaders also. But you know, like many prophecies, there was a double meaning or even a triple meaning. For our God does not just play in the first quarter. He's not that sort of God. Our God plays for the fourth quarter, even for the last minute, the last seconds, the last days out of thousands of years. He sent Jesus to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, but his 30 years or so on, during his first visit to us on earth was only part of that prophecy. For Jesus told of a time when he would return. And thus, we had hope. We still have hope. Jesus, the Son of Man and Son of God, said that he would return, but he specifically didn't tell us when. In fact, he told us, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. In these two prophecies of Isaiah and Jesus, part of the promise is the promise of this time of peace. Oh, how that must have been wonderful to the people living in Palestine during ancient times and even today. The land's a fertile land. It's located between Egypt in the south and Babylon, Persia, and Assyria to the northeast. But to the north is the land that was once Greece but is now Turkey. Over the ocean were Greeks and Romans who would come invading. To the east out of the desert rode Arab raiders. Armies marched from Egypt to Turkey, from Babylon and Persia to Egypt, from Greece to Egypt, and they always walked right through our homes. Roman armies marched up and down the country. And between the major armies were bandits and raiders who just stopped in and took your favorite lamb, took your seed corn. The land has never been peaceful. Israel as a country could only really stand up to its neighbors during the reigns of David and Solomon and in the years after 1948. But even today, even today, it's not a peaceful land. Rockets are launched at Israel from Gaza or Syria or somewhere else because it seems today's Tuesday, so let's attack Israel. It's hard for us to understand. We live 8,000 miles away on the other side of an ocean. That ocean's between us and every significant enemy. The brief attacks in nine, on 911, they never touched us here in West Virginia, although many of us knew people who were affected. The last significant fighting around here was during the American Civil War 150 years ago. But still, you know, we worry because we have relatives who are in the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, 
the Marines. They might be called to fight somewhere around the world. And, and we even worry a bit about crazy men who have rockets with nuclear weapons on the other side of the world. And so we don't always sleep well at night. But it's not just this worry that gets to us. We have all sorts of other worries. It's a different type of peace that we need. We have peace from invading armies, but we need a different type of peace. Our peace that we look for is a peace from worry. So how do we find this, this peace? Worry is a special type of fear. It is the fear that happens when we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And we believe that bad things will happen in the future. We worry about our teenagers driving home on a snowy night because we don't have confidence in their ability to drive in the snow. We worry about our health because we don't know what the medical tests are going to show. We worry about our finances because we don't have confidence in our employer or know what, what the prices of things will be next month or know if the economy is going to keep going. You know, you see, worry is caused by our lack of confidence and knowledge about what will happen in the future. And it's also caused by a lack of perspective and a desire for control. Our lack of perspective goes this way. We think that everything that happens in the short term is the ultimate. An unexpected bill will destroy our budget, and an, or an unexpected illness will make us die, or a fire hits our home. If one does, we'll lose everything. But a careful look at things will show us that we're panicking. We've been paying insurance on the house for 20 years, just in case there's a fire or a flood. We've been setting aside money in savings for years just so we can handle an unexpected bill. We might even have a credit card that we pay off every month just so we can buy a new freezer or fridge or stove if ours dies. By living carefully and frugally, we've been planning for financial emergencies. But what about the scary diagnosis? What if that happens and the doctor tells us that we have cancer? In most cases today, our medical doctors have developed treatments that are inconvenient and maybe painful, but work most of the time. We're no longer living in the 1940s where there were no real treatments for cancer or heart disease or many other diseases. But what if, what if the doctor says there's nothing that they can do and you only have a month or so to live? That's why we've been developing our faith all these years in Jesus. For our faith in Jesus isn't just for certain causes of death, but our faith in Jesus is for all the bad things. Accidents, financial emergencies, terrible, un incurable diseases. Our faith in him covers everything and puts everything in perspective. For the Christian believer, death is not the end. It is not the most horrible thing. Death is just a chance to walk through a door from this land of the live this sorry from this land of the dying into the land of the living we walk into a land where the soul never dies and all those worries about war and the government and bad health and poor finances disappear in an instant 
to the Christian believer who has the deep faith, nothing bad is going to happen that's going to be around for very long because we are going to live with Jesus for thousands of years. If we have a strong faith in Jesus and his promises, there's nothing ever, ever to worry about. But we fear because we can't control what happens when we die. Exactly. Our lack of peace happens because we cannot control death. We have to turn to Jesus, the Son of God, and rely upon him. And that was why we were kicked out of the garden. Back when we were in the garden, everything just happened nicely. But we were kicked out, we were put into a world where we could no longer eat from the tree of life because we disobeyed. In the garden, we had chosen not to trust God, and now we were given a world to live in where we had to trust God and God's Son if we were to live eternally with God. A few years ago, Sandra and I were with a youth group, and we went up to, Mount, up to Canaan Valley. It was a tubing trip in the middle of January. It was nine degrees that night. The wind was blowing, but we went tubing. So we go up there, and we all get on this conveyor belt, and it kind of brings us right up the side. And we get up there to the top, and we get on a tube, and we go down, and, and it was nice. It was fun. It was so much fun that I decided I'd go sit beside the fire for the rest of the evening and try to meet parents. They say, are you cold? I said, no, I'm not cold now. But we, Sandra decides she'd go back up and tube some more. So she gets back on the conveyor and rides back up to the top. And she gets on the tube. And this time, she's going down alone. So they put her on there. And as she goes, she's just, wow, this is fun. Because all of a sudden, it's doing this. And it starts doing this. And it goes faster and faster, and she's spinning and spinning, and she's just cruising down the hill. And she's beginning to panic, but then she says, there's nothing I can do. I'll just have to trust in God's grace. She gets down there, and, and as she goes by the crowd of parents who were on the conveyor, there's this gasp of fear because they'd never seen anybody spinning like that going down before. And she gets to the bottom and she's worried that there's one thing. She said, I just worried that I would be able to stand up at the end so they wouldn't worry about me. And she finally comes to a stop way at the end, stumbles out. She's dizzy, but she stands up, gives thumbs up, and the crowd cheers. <laughs> well, Sandra will tell you that ever since then, She's had no fear because she learned to trust in God's grace completely that night. And so she didn't have any fear a couple weeks ago when that breast biopsy had to be done and she had to wait several days for the answer. It came back benign. Trusting in God's grace is what brings us peace. And that trust is strengthened 
when we recognize that God has sent prophets to us to tell us about the future so we will know what's going to happen. And we will know what God's promises are. So find the promises and prophecies in your Bible. See where the prophecies came true in the past so you'll understand that God always keeps his promises. God always loves us. And God simply wants us to trust in him and his son. And if you do this, you will have hope and you will have peace. So as we sing this last song, come to the altar rail today to give God your fears and worries as you prepare for Christ's return. Take home peace. Or you may pray for another person that they may find the peace of Christ in the first arrival of Christ into their heart. Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.